All right. Welcome to another episode of Over Engineered, the podcast where we ask the very important question, what is the absolute best way to do things that don't really matter? I am here today. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love the premise of this. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, I like the fact that I get to do this is so much fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm here with my friend, Tim McDonald my internet friend hopefully real real world friend after laricon that will be fun yes and before i introduced him i realized last episode i never introduced myself my name is chris morell and i am i'm a php developer i've been writing php code for 20 plus years and uh just thought (sighs) there are lots of topics that come up over and over but never feel important enough to really give a lot of time to and we just thought let's sit down and really arguably overthink them so without further ado tim do you want to introduce yourself and and honestly i don't i don't know like what's uh what's your give, give us the short version what's your what's your story how'd you get to where you are right now i mean the short version is i'm just a random php developer that's that's it really how did I get to where I am? I uh, started off like as far as development stuff goes, uh, started off doing like WordPress stuff, worked at like a WordPress factory. Where it was just like website after website after website. Um, during that time, I Googled what's the difference between JavaScript and jQuery to try and understand nice. that world because I just didn't understand mm-hmm. what that even meant. And then kind of started looking into the app world and building apps and at one point I was heading down the path, like I built some iOS app and Android apps and I was heading down that kind of mobile path and I was like, eh, the web's kind of cooler. I want to come back to the web. You know, found Laravel, fell in love with that, built lots of apps and yeah, here I am still just kind of writing PHP and loving it. And now you are on the Laravel, the Laravel team, right? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which has been amazing. It's, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. How long has that been? Not quite a year. Okay. Yeah. So coming up to a year, I think soon, which has just flown by. That's absolutely nuts to think about. But yeah, coming up wow. to a year, I think. Hmm. Nice. All right. Well, let me let part of part of why I am really excited to have Tim on is I was talking briefly about the concept of this show, and I said, for example, here's here's a, here's a thing that we might talk about. Right? You've got your da- your, you've got your migrations, and in Laravel, there's a very straightforward story for, for schema migrations. But <clears throat> what do you do when you need to manipulate data in some way that's not part of the schema migration, right? Do you just like, the example that we gave last episode just briefly is like you're doing sort of a roles and permissions feature. And, you know, you've just migrated a roles table, you've just migrated a permissions table, and you know at the base level you're going to need to create a couple of roles and a couple of permissions to get started and it's not that those are the only roles and permissions that are going to be in the system but you know like immediately i need you know a couple of a guest role and an admin role and a staff role or something like that and i need a couple other things and ostensibly maybe the feature that you just pushed won't even work unless there's some minimum amount of data in the in the that that database that you just created so yeah, we explored a little bit of like the different ways you might do it. Do you just 
throw it in the migration directly? Do you write a, a custom command that you have to then SSH into your app app server and run after the migration or a couple other things? And we're gonna we're gonna go come back to them in a couple things that folks said on like Twitter and Mastodon. But what really intrigued me was Tim said, I've got an idea. And I, it's not anything that I've heard anyone else say. And so I've been very curious to hear what this idea is. So before we get into any of that, like, let's hear it. I'm, I've been waiting weeks for this. <laughs> Just to jump straight into it. Yeah. So <laughs> as you mentioned, Chris, like you kind of planted the seed that you wanted to chat about this with, with, with developers. And that day I was riding home on my bike and uh, as all good problem solving, like that was when I started to like think about this problem a bit deeper and kind of like start to pick it apart. And I was like, oh, I wonder if you could do X, Y, and Z. Because we had something come up with uh, Laravel Forge recently that kind of helped me kind of put all this together on the bike ride home that I think there's like a deeper level to. So I think that as Laravel developers, we've all kind of thought about this problem, right? Because we've all had to tackle it at some point once an application kind of gets down the line far enough, you know, you need to to do something like this. So it's something that I think a, a lot of us have put some kind of thought into and I myself had put lots of thought into it. And then, yeah, it was just that ride home, something just clicked and I thought, oh, this could be cool. Now, full disclosure, this could be an absolutely terrible idea that would never work and has a big hole in it. And you're going to point it out in the first two minutes of this podcast. So like, <laughs> that's it. I can't wait. But, but my idea is Laravel Envoy, essentially. Okay. okay. Say more. Yeah. So Laravel Envoy is a tool to kind of have deployment scripts for your application. I think we should define the problem like I know you've kind of talked about the problem in the previous podcast, but because there's a few things, right? Like you want to solve the different problems in different ways. And so one thing you talked about was the migration stuff. Now, when I think about the migration stuff, there's a couple of things. One is maybe I've just added a new column to an existing table. Yep. And I don't want to so I I think you need to solve and and, and say it's like a, a column you want to add, you want to populate. Quite often, I find myself wanting to add a column, populate it, and then make it non-nullable. Yep. Yep, So you want to make sure that it has all those values in it. Now, there's no point in writing a migration that adds the thing, then writing a cedar that populates, or you can write a cedar class, but like running the cedar as a separate process, and then running another migration to like make that non-nullable. Right. And I think in that case, if you're kind of, if you're tacking on a a column, then what you want to do is is add the column just loop over all the rows, add, you know, populate it there um, and then make it non-nullable. I guess, depending on the the size of the database, maybe that isn't practical. You do actually need to kind of do that in the background. If you can, if you can like launch the app and it can run without those values there, maybe it kind of has to be blocking, whatever. But I think something like that just has to be in the migration. So I think to answer that particular problem, I think that is like, do that in the migration. That's kind of my opinion for if, as long as yeah, it has to be I mean, like all things, right? It depends. Yes. yes. And, and oh, yeah, I do yeah, yeah. think that there are a lot of cases. I mean, and yeah, this is where it comes up is like, yes, but <laughs> what if that table has 10 million rows in it, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, realistically, going back to the it depends, the answer is, well, when you have to deal with 10 million rows, maybe you have to have a different solution. 
Yes. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you so far. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, a perfect case scenario is, is you probably like add that column before you add the, before you deploy the feature, then you like populate it in the background and then you make it non-nullable and then you deploy the feature when it's already kind of populated and, and pre-filling itself and kind of do like right. a staged migration or something like that. So that's that. But okay, so I'm jumping all over the place. I'll, I'll get to the, the Envoy stuff. So my thinking is like there's some tasks that you need to do uh, where you want to like run a migration. Okay, I'll run a CEDAR. Okay, so that's fine. We can define a CEDAR and we can deploy our application. We can SSH in and do PHP artisan DB seed, whatever, and run some CEDAR to populate stuff. Um, but you might only want to run that, that CEDAR. Do you, do you see it in production? <sighs> I've never run a seed. I don't really use cedars ever. So, but I've certainly never run a cedar in production. Sure, sure. I I have worked on applications where that was the process that we kind of used. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cedar kind of helped us, you know, reproduce and test before we did it. You know, just sure. running an artisan command or something like that, where you're tinkering or something. So, yep, definitely, definitely done the cedar approach. Um, but it, like it's not any different to just doing it in a migration at that point, right? Right. It's kind of the same thing. I guess the difference is with migrations, you can blow them away if you use the the DB dump stuff, whereas you see that kind of will stay in your code base. Yeah, that's a good point. So, okay, okay. So what my idea is, is Laravel Envoy and kind of augmenting the functionality that already exists there. So so that you can have commands that only run once okay on a server and commands that run on one server once commands that run on all servers once uh maybe commit well there's already commands that run on every single deployment that's just kind of what laravel envoy is can we can you i i have a vague i've never used envoy i I think of envoy as like a ansible or a puppeteer kind of or a puppet, I guess, like a, a deployment uh, tool. Is that mm. like, yeah. So I guess I imagine that you'd run it locally to connect to remote machines. Am I thinking about it differently? Or no, that is, that is, that is correct. Okay. Yep. What you're thinking about is correct. So you kind of have Envoy local, you have your, um, your kind of Envoy script. Uh, it's a blade file. So it's envoy.blade.php in your okay. repository and you specify the servers. So you can say my web server is this IP address. My worker server is this IP address it can be, you know, an array of those. And then you can write different tasks. So one task might be caching the config or caching the routes. One okay. task might be, you know, restarting the workers. Uh, one task might be, you know, pulling or get down and running the migrations, things like that. And then you can kind of, you can, you can write these tasks and then you can also write a story and a story is like a composition of tasks. Okay. And are these like essentially blade decorations on top? top of bash scripts or is it running is, in php or okay no no you've right. you've got it right yep so it's it's blades it, you're running bash scripts so you know you're seeding into a directory running php artisan q restart things like that okay all right i'm with you so far cool so the thing with envoy is that it's stateless you know it just runs the same things the same commands every single time sure so if you want to restart your queues like there's you know just you put that in the story and it goes and restarts the queues. It doesn't know that it's done it in the last deployment. It doesn't know that it has, wants sure. to do it every time or whatever. 
And the reason that I've come to Envoy is that I don't think all problem, all, I feel like this is somewhat of a general solution, again, when it, when it suits, to sure. quite a few problems that are all related. Yeah. Which is, you know, when, when do you run that CETA? How do you get that CETA to only run once on a machine? Right. But so it's like, it's how do you make change to state once? Right. Right. And all sorts of different types of changes, right? Exactly. So there was a update we did on Laravel Forge where we updated the dependency and the environment variables that it needed had to change. And without those environment variables, so it was like, uh, you know, uh, we'll just call it Laravel underscore foo. And that was what it used to be. And now the new uh, environment variable is Laravel underscore bar, whatever. Um, I'm great with examples. (laughs) And, And what happens is if you haven't got that environment variable changed, the framework can't actually boot. Okay which is kind of similar to if you haven't made the change in the database, the application can't actually run. I feel like there's kind of a similarity between those. Yeah, I can see that. And so what I was thinking is, can we kind of come up with a solution here where I can say, you know, hey, Envoy, this cedar should have been run on every every deployed environment at just once, whether it's to like seed my admin roles or something like that. And so I could create a task in Envoy that's like seed admin roles. And then I tell Envoy, you know, do this thing once per machine or, well, it wouldn't know. This would be just once per, because it's a shared database. Per system. Yeah, per per deployment, I guess, per environment. And then what it could do is run that thing. And now this is again where it starts to break down for serverless, but just create a have a directory of files that are just flags to indicate what tasks have been run for that particular machine. And that's why you'd want to put that would live on your server itself rather than locally on your machine. And I could see pretty easily having some sort of driver concept where maybe the default is, is a file system based thing, but you could do just like migrations, you know, you could have a database driver, Mm. And, you know, yes. this task ran on this device or this machine, you know, and this environment. Yeah. And the reason that I kind of was thinking more file system, yes, absolutely. The, thing, the reason I was thinking file system based is that, you know, what if the task is to like update the credentials for the database? Like it has to do right. that before it can work out whether or not it's run that task before. And so that's where I think that kind of falls falls apart. But it would, you know, it would still be possible if you just never changed those credentials or had a dedicated system for this shared data somewhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you're always gonna you're always gonna run into that because what if the, uh, you know, what if the task is you know swap from like a local file system to like a block store mounted file system or something? Right. You could go yes. the other way and make the same yes. argument. Are you? Yes. Definitely. And then. What I thought was, would be cool is, you know, we don't all want to be writing bash. Like sometimes we, because I feel like there's the, my the, my thinking on this, and um, I think you you kind of messaged me about this as well. Like, what about someone saying maybe a different migrations directory? Or like, I had had an idea for like 
Laravel Actions, and I know Laravel Actions is like, I think that's a, a thing, but yep. you know, the idea that it's like the same as migrations, but for just other stuff and it like saves it in the database and it's just like a PHP file, you can do that. And so then I was thinking, well, Envoy could, you could do bash scripts or you could point it to a PHP. If it ends in .php, then it can just be a PHP file. And if it's can't, if it's just like, if you just want to use PHP and not write bash, then that's sure. fine. But maybe the, the framework can't boot for this particular thing. You still just want to write PHP for it. Then, you know, the having a PHP file wouldn't mean that the application would boot. There'd just be a function you could call like boot or something that would actually then boot the framework. So then you've got access to the framework to be able to do whatever it is you want to do. Yeah, this is this was uh, again. I don't know that this is like all stringing together, but in my head, I was just having these like, "Wait, is this a thing? Maybe this is like a solution to all of this." I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, this is definitely. I I see what you were saying in that it's like this is solving the problem at, at like a different level, right? Mm. And mm. and thus it's kind of like solving. It's it's a much more generalized solution, right? Because it's not just about data migration anymore. It's about and you know what what we call orchestration i don't know every, i th- i don't know if that's a, a universal term but like just orchestrating the deployment of your system right and all the different pieces that that go into that i mean right now the the thing that i'm a little caught up on is right we use we use onvoyer right the mm-hmm. laravel product yes to essentially do this right we've got a bunch of different deployment hooks at different steps in the, de- the deployment process and we're running different commands and and most of them are are either you know the the standard artisan commands you know around caching configs or restarting the queue and then and and running running migrations for example and then you know it could but it could just be a bash script or something like that for for uh example and so like in that story i guess i can imagine saying <clears throat> i guess you still have some of those deployment hooks but you're essentially just using envoyer to trigger the envoy story for that like stage is that kind of what you would imagine i imagine that there's there's a a story for each deployment, right? Like let's let's think about, um, now I haven't used Envoyer, uh, full disclosure. Um, so okay. I'm just thinking Laravel Forge deployment script, you've got CD into, you know, uh, timacdonald.me and then um, uh, git pull to like pull down the latest git information. You do PHP artisan migrate, you do PHP artisan um, optimize, whatever to like cache the routes and cache. Like those sure. are things I want to run every single time. Like that's my deployment story. But then I am I'm writing a PR and I'm writing a new feature. Um, actually, you know what? Uh, what I'm doing is I'm augmenting an existing feature. I'm changing an existing feature and the existing feature uh, puts information in the cache. Right? It puts uh, uh, a list of drink bottles in the cache. But the structure <laughs> of the drink bottle data, right? Before it was like brand and name, as like a as as like a list, 
maybe we've changed that to kind of be a more more uh, complex data structure and name is now title or brand or something like that, whatever. We've just changed sure. the structure. So the data in the case. We've got, we've got a first name and a last name column and we've realized that that's fundamentally flawed and we're just going to a name column. Is that a... I love it because that's just good in general. Thank you. As I said, not good at examples. So yeah, so perfect, perfect thing. So we've got these, we're putting a list of, of, of names and we've got first name, last name in the previous iteration. And then we realize, you know what? Not everyone has a first name and a last name. We should just be asking for the name. And so if we then say, hey, Keish, give us all the people's names, our application... Our application locally is going to work because we're just like using the, you know, the array driver or something locally. So every time we change the structure of what goes into the cache, it just like is valid on our system at all times because it's only for that one invocation of the app or whatever. But in production, it's still got first name, last name. So when we deploy this feature that has changed and is expecting name to come back, we're going to say, give us all of those people, loop over them and pull out the name and we're going to get an array offset. You know, name does not exist you know, because first name and last name, they're in the cache. They're like, they live in the cache yep. already. So for this one deployment, when I deploy this feature, I want to bust the cache. Right. So for this one, like I've just written this feature, I've got a PR up and I've got to say, hey, whoever deploys this, can you like do a, can you SSH in and run PHP Artisan um, cache clear? to make sure you clear the cache after you've deployed this thing becomes this right. kind of manual step. Or if there's like a third party system, you know, I've got to go and log in and it's like it's separate system, I, but I want that command that I have to run when this PR is deployed to be a part of the code base itself. Okay. This is starting. Yeah. Okay. This is starting to click more for me. I see. Cool. I, I understood where you, where you were going, but this, this is making more sense. It's like this particular deploy needs this, thing to run at some point during the deployment story yes but it only needs to run once it just it needs to just run once i don't sure want to bust the cache, cache on cleared. every deploy yeah 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 just okay. once with with this particular deploy so i go into my envoy script and i say hey i've got a new task that's called bust the cache um and maybe i yeah we'll just leave it at that for now i won't complicate it so i create a new task that's busting the cache and i say run this uh on one server and only run it once. And then right. that feature, now the commands that have to be run to make this feature okay are now part of the code base. They're a part of the PR. I love that. It gets merged in. Yeah. It gets deployed, and this just happens. Like it, it as it deploys, it runs that thing. It persists somewhere that it has run that command with the code as the code has gone out. And then next time we deploy, so we spin up a new feature, merge it in, deploy it. It doesn't bust the cache that time. Right. Right. So, okay. So I was just looking at the Envoy docs a little bit in the background. Mm. And let me see if if what I'm picturing lines up with what you're kind of describing, right? So in yes. Envoy, I see there's, a, there's basically a couple of, <clears throat> excuse me, blade directives. <laughs> one is at task and one is at story, mm -hmm. right? And at task describes a specific individual task. And then at story is a collection of tasks that run, right? So you might have like a deploy story or an install 
that that calls like the update code and install dependencies tasks, right? These are the examples in the docs. And what I could see imagining is I don't know if you could use at once because that's that's you know already part of Blade, but in an ideal world, right? There would just be another section of your Envoy script at the bottom that's just at once. <clears throat> and maybe it takes like a, a an argument you call it by default it only runs once per environment but you could say like you know per machine arrow true or something like that to say once per machine and and maybe by default then when you run a story <clears throat> excuse me it just it just includes or, you know, it'd be even cooler. What if you're once referenced a task, right? So you could say at once, and then, you know, in the arguments, you take an array, you know, after arrow update code, right? Or before arrow update code. And then any story that calls that task or anything that ends up calling that task, right? Checks, okay, was this once? triggered for its requirements if not run it in the life cycle either before or after whatever the different hooks are does that does that kind of line up with what you were thinking i was definitely the concepts there a hundred percent but the kind of that dependency between the task definition and like the command that it should run with i was more thinking that um so the task definition itself would specify should it be run once? So you'd kind of say, all right, I want to create a task that is busting the cache and only, and this only gets run once. And then in the story, you'd say, you know, update the code, bust, bust the cache, oh, uh, install dependencies, bust the cache, you know, migrate the database. And that way it's in the story. You can kind of see it in, in what order it's got to happen because it might have to happen before the code is pulled down or it might have to happen after the composer has done its install. So having it kind of as a part of the story itself of like, what does the next deployment look like? Here's the order that these things have to happen in. And if it's already happened, then it just won't run. It's just a no-op and it'll just go right. to whatever the next item in the story is. So rather than having a separate once directive, it's like this particular task is just marked as only running once. Or maybe in the story itself, it's like, wrapped in a pseudo like at once and then yeah or, or it's like bust cache colon once yeah i would like i feel like i would want something because the 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 downside of that is then you know a year later right it, it gets to be kind of fuzzy what's happening in this deploy story mm, right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yep i hear what you're saying and if if someone if you've deleted it because you could go and delete those things as well, right? Like you could go and delete sure. bust cache, but then if someone, yeah, like you're saying, like 12 months later comes and goes, oh, I need to bust the cache. I'll create a bust cache, run this once, but it's already yeah. been marked. Bust cache as a task has already been run once. So there yeah, needs to be some kind of like identifier for- You need to be really careful about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's interesting though. I I mean, mm. I like I like the concept. I think, okay, to, to like, to step back, like immediately I'm just like, yes, 
this is this is interesting because now we're solving even more problems and i love that mm. Mm. especially yeah, I, like I mean this podcast is called over engineered so like <laughs> yeah, this, exactly. this is perfect for that right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> on the flip side we are introducing a ton of of new complexity for what had previously been like just run an eloquent query inside of your migration right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so is this a solution is this a solution that you have to is this a solution to that problem or is this a solution to sort of orchestrating deploys that also happens to potentially have an answer to that question as well yeah i mean it's a solution to something i'm just not sure 100 percent what yet <laughs> but that's why we're talking about it i love it so yeah so it's hard because I keep kind of coming back to, yeah, the migration stuff. Like if you want to, so let's, let's talk about like the concrete example of populating the different roles and permissions, right? Cause that sure. feels like a good one that we can grasp is like, is you want to create the table and then you want to fill it out. So let's, let's walk through those steps of what this looks like. I'm sorry if we're repeating stuff from the last episode here. I didn't no, listen to it. make sure that I wasn't kind of incepted by their ideas. But yeah, the you know uh, what you you'd create a migration, create a table that's roles, and then probably underneath the kind of scheme you go schema colon colon table create the roles table, and then maybe outside on the next line you'd say you know uh, role colon colon create many, and then you'd kind of pass a big long list because you know in in this migration file you know that that table doesn't yet exist. Uh, sorry, the data doesn't yet exist. None of the roles and stuff because you've just created the table. Yes, but <laughs> the, the problem is you in practice, you typically have to also, this, this is this is kind of one of the gotchas. And we didn't really mm. talk about this last episode, I don't think. But okay. one of the gotchas is you really only want that to run in production or mm-hmm. you don't want it to run during unit tests. Typically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep. So, so yes, but y- y- you usually would have that wrapped in some sort of if statement. It might just be yep. if app, if not app running unit tests. I'm trying to remember exactly, but that was because that was how this all came up. Maybe a year, or a year and a half ago, was we ran into one of those gotchas having to do with testing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's just cool. an aside just kind of popped in my yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a great point, 100%. And so that, you know, we can deploy that, that works, everyone's happy. So so where's the problem? I guess the problem is you might do a DB dump. Is it, no, is it schema dump? I think it's schema dump. And that blows away all the migration files and just gives you a dump of the schema to quickly be able to like regenerate the database without running through each file individually. It's just like, here's what you need, take it as is. Right. So then you've lost all that. That's right. So now when you run PHP Artisan Migrate, there is no, you know, if we're not in unit tests, then loop over these and create like that code doesn't even exist in the repository anymore because those files have been deleted. Right. And so I think yeah, that's where the problem starts to come in. Is there other places where this problem can't, where, the, where like there's, the problem arises? There's that. 
yeah, there's that. The the unit testing problem actually is really just if you do this a handful of times, then you know if you're like us, we've got twenty thousand lines of of feature tests, like we, for features that have nothing to do with that particular data set. Now you're you know, inserting a bunch of records and then removing a bunch of records on every test that that hits the the um, refresh database, right? <clears throat> so that was another issue. Yeah, I, I think there's a philosophical issue of just like this feels a little gross, right? Yep. Like this yeah. migration system seems to be meant for one thing, and now we're doing something else in it, and it just feels mm. a little dirty. Mm. But um, you know, to w- one of the one of the follow-ups so i got i got a couple of really interesting responses on on mastodon and on twitter and and one one of them was basically just like just use migrations because just use migrations you know mm, yeah yeah that was brendan white and he, he you know his his basic point was like kind of to the same same point that you were making in the beginning you want something committed to the repository that mm. represents mm-hmm. this work right mm. and so that's what we use migrations for is to have sort of a chronological list of the stuff that needs to happen to the database and yep. so I, I maybe i'm mischaracterizing characterizing his, his response because it was it was pretty detailed and i'll add a link in the show notes or something but you know i and i i do really appreciate that it's like yes maybe it feels a little dirty but also this is a great system that already exists. Yep. You can get around a lot of the issues. And totally. and that that's what got me. So I, I had messaged you and said the the one, so another response I got on Mastodon was Lucas Heller said what they do is the the database migrator, you can pass it a directory parameter, right? So by default, it looks in a specific directory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or it looks in all the registered migrations directories. So like, mm-hmm. there's the default migrations directory, and then if you use something like modular, like it might, you know, something else might reg- register other migrations directories. But the migrator has those directories that it runs through. But you can pass it a directory and tell it just use this directory instead. And so his basic take was, if you have like my schema migrations that you want to run, and then at a separate point in your deploy, like your automated deploy process, you have data migrations you want to run, create another directory for the data migrations, mm. and then Let's just go. have that run as a separate step in your deployment script. And I, I think that's really clever. I think yeah. it's, it, it's, it really is interesting. And I honestly, that may be the thing that I'm leaning towards as as the like cleanest solution to this problem and then in there if you have something that's tens of millions of rows that need to be um processed and they can be done asynchronously i don't have a big problem with spawning some big batch job job from that migration but then you have that single point of Mm -hmm. did this get run exactly once for this for this environment, you know, yes. it doesn't answer the question of if something needs to be run on each machine, right? Mm. So if you have 
I don't know, if you have some sort of file system type or, you know, if you have different Redis caches per per app server or something like that, and you need to do something specific to them, this would not solve that problem where yours yeah. would. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I love both of these solutions, right? Like, the, yeah, I love the first one, which is just like, well, just use the thing that exists. Like I'm all about that a hundred percent. And the idea of having a different directory and then just still using PHP artisan migrate is like, that is, that is very cool. I really it's like super that clever. idea. Yeah. 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 I mean, and then that's quite nice for like a, a new developer as well. Right. Because, you know, like the, the roles and permissions thing, like that's let, let's keep like leaning on that example. A new developer comes along and you've blown away the schema and like, but everyone's, everyone ran the migration. So they've all got, you know, admin and super admin and moderator, and they've got all the roles in their database, but this new developer comes in, runs the migrations. And it's like, I don't have any roles in my database. It's like, I'll oh, just run the actions. Cause they don't, well, I'm calling them actions, whatever the yep, other migration yep. directory is, they don't get blown away. Like they're just yeah. permanently there. So it's like a, how, how you set things up. I guess, I guess it is problematic if schemas change yeah you'd have to then update the that as well so there's there's that kind of dependency there but it's still a very interesting it's good for production it's good for production and getting right. that data kind of moved from a to b and if you are in a situation where you have a team where folks are coming on and off like and you're bumping up to this against uh bumping up against this a lot mm. you could probably add some sort of thing that's just like you know it reads the schema and only runs that data migration if the schema is like the shape that it expects, right? Yes. And then if it, yep. it, you know, if at some point in the future it gets to a place, it's not ideal though. It's, it, yeah, the, the whole issue of, of, of um, doing the schema dump throws another wrinkle into it that I hadn't mm. really thought about yet. Mm. Let me, let me give um, you the two other there are two yeah, other yeah, options yeah. that came out. Let's let's just put them all on the table because this is interesting. Yeah. So another another response that I got on Twitter, uh, Ed Ed Grossvener said he just has a run once command, mm -hmm. and that command just gets run at each deploy, but it it basically just takes the MD five of itself. And just aborts if it's run that that hash before, right? Yeah. So you can either store that hash on the file system or you can store it in the database. I love this. I think this yeah, is so clever. And so it's just like if you change the run once commands handle method, it runs, but then the next time it runs, that hash has been executed. So it, it just ignores it. And I think that's like I think it's probably not the right solution in a bunch of cases, but I think for the right developer or small team of developer, it's just, it's beautiful. I think it's, it's a very clever solution. I, I really like that idea. And this, this has reminded me of, um, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about it after we've kind of gone through the other solutions, but Taylor had a tweet about this kind of concept as well. And it reminds me of that implementation. I think, the one thing that would trip me up is like someone runs PHP CS fixer and like changes yes. a rule and now the MD5 yes. has changed and you didn't want that thing to change and now it has. Yeah. But, but I still like it's 
it feels like in the same kind of headspace that I was in around like there's like a marker to be like this thing is one, yeah. you know, whether yeah, it's like, yeah. a, you know, just an empty file as a flag or like the MD5 hash of their whole file. Yeah, no, I dig that. Yeah. I dig that. And then the last the last solution that we came to at the end of the the last episode is this is very confusing because of the the Laravel actions package that is is pretty popular but there is a package called it's like Laravel actions by the dragon code or the dragon code actions dragon code actions Okay, well, that's amazing. Name or actions Either by way. the Dragon Code for Laravel is the official title, I guess. And right, well, that's a great title. Long... I just want to. <laughs> it's so good. What a good package name. <laughs> it's, oh my gosh, it's I love a little that. unfortunate, you know, just from from a name confusion perspective because Laravel Actions is is so Absolutely. popular. Yeah, yeah, but um, it's essentially what you had kind of talked about at the very beginning. It is migrations but for anything right it gets <laughs> they get the, the whether they have run gets stored in the database just like migrations but it can be you know any type of thing and they can be scoped to an environment so you might have like an action that's just you know at, at internationally we have a you know php artisan dev setup command that does a bunch of stuff if you have a new dev environment including you know pull a bunch of uh, sample data and, and set up the NPM packages and, you know, all that stuff. Right. Mm. And, you know, effectively we could re replace that with something like this. That's just a bunch of actions that only run in the local environment, you know? Yep. And this is, this is probably the other one that's most appealing to me because it's, it's, it's essentially, all the things that we like about migrations, but it's just another space that's dedicated to things that don't feel right for migrations and are a little bit more broad than migrations. And it, you know, it kind of gets into what, what the envoy solution is where it's like, you can run anything, you know, <clears throat> but because it's, because it's, within the context of an artisan command it it doesn't have some of the advantages in that you know if you need to change out the database connection or something like that you're already inside of a booted app yep. it's going to be problematic in a different way mm. and but that's, that's assuming the app can actually boot as well <laughs> right we're right yeah, sure yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but yeah, those are those are just the other things that came up, and I and I think there's a lot to be said for all of them. I yeah, love, definitely. I, I love how much there is in just this one little tiny question, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. I'm I didn't realize all this stuff existed, so I'm I'm loving it. Yeah. So Taylor also kind of had a solution to this, which um, he tweeted about quite some time ago, um, which was again, it feels it feels very similar to to all these things, uh, where it's I don't know what the command was, but I believe it was essentially an artisan command. And the artisan command just had a list of classes and we'll just call the classes like actions, right? So whatever mm -hmm. it is, it's, you know, one of the, one of them is populate roles. And 
the class itself was just an invocable object. So it's just essentially just a function wrapped up in a class. And when you called, when you kind of invoked the class, it was, um, and oh, I don't know how to say this word. I, it's one of those words that I've read everywhere. And then when I say it out loud, I'm always like, I didn't say it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> now I don't even have to say it. That's so good. I need to record that and then I can play it every time I want to say it. I am potent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did, oh, gosh. Yeah, so that, uh, you know, they were all responsible for working out whether or not they should run themselves. So the roles oh, and permissions oh, okay, okay. thing might be like, hey, do, do all of these roles exist in the database? If they do, just return. Like, don't do anything. If they right. don't, you know, maybe insert the ones that don't yet exist. And that would allow you to update that when you add a new role that has to exist. You know, if you had admin and moderator, and then six months later, you want to add a super admin, you just go in there and say, you know, add super admin to the list of roles. It goes, do all three of these exist? Yes, they do. Don't do anything. If they don't, all right, work out which ones don't exist and just insert that one, which is definitely an interesting approach as well. And then all you do is end up with a really nice clean list of just, you know, classes that are just objects and you're kind of in that same, in that same world, except that the class itself is responsible for working out whether or not it should run. Right. Right. Yeah. I like that approach. Mm. I mean, I like that approach. I wish, you know, I, I wish, I think what I like about some of the other things that we've talked about is there's a formality to them, right? Mm. Where mm. you're, you're using sort of, maybe it's not a core convention, but you're using some sort of convention that's like prescribed by the package. Whereas yes. something like this, you know, because we can come up with our own homegrown hack together solution for anything, right? This, oh, this oh like, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, quite honestly, a lot of times that's maybe the better solution for things. And we, and maybe we reach for like more sophisticated solutions too often. So there's, there's an argument for that too. But yeah, it just feels like, if there was a loose standard around this type of thing, whether it's something like what you're proposing or whether it's this uh, dragon actions thing or whether it's like a formal, like, um, like a formal flag in the mm -hmm. migrator that, mm -hmm tells like that you can do php artisan migrate and then you can do php artisan migrate dash dash data or something like that and that's like a mm -hmm. special thing or mm -hmm. dash dash after and dash dash before to be like these are the things that run before migrations these are the things that run after migrations i like i i would love to see there be sort of a standard way that's not standard just to one team but it's like sort of standard to how you approach it in Laravel. But that said, you know, we've got, we've got a bunch of great options here and for the most part, everyone gets, gets along just fine with, with what oh, we've yeah. got. So definitely, but I like that. I like that, that idea of just a bunch of classes that are just really self-contained responsible for figuring out, you know, do I need to run? And then if so, this is what I do. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's quite nice. And, 
and I guess in a way that's kind of influenced the my thinking on the Envoy thing as well, where it's just like, it's just a list of tasks to run and the tasks themselves, again, they can be responsible for working out if they have to run or you can use Envoy's kind of once command to like, you know, it'll it'll remember if it's run. You know, it's it's almost like, you know, composing your solution out of all these ideas, um, I think is is definitely probably most of the time the way to go, right? Because there's so much context right. everyone's going to need for their right. apps. For sure. Yeah, so, I mean, I think probably your system, like the number of servers you're deploying to and the size of your team is going to change change this pretty significantly for sure. If you're, if you're on you're serverless. To one, or yeah, or if you're on serverless for sure, yeah. Mm. You know, if, you're, if you've got 30 app servers to deploy to or one app server to deploy to, it's going to change the story. Definitely. definitely. Or zero, right? Or if, yeah, if, yeah. If you are going serverless. Yeah. Amazing. So there was, okay. There was something else I didn't actually realize was kind of in this world that I PR'd to the framework that we just like, I kind of like lost motivation for it, but I thought it was really nice to begin with. And now I'm kind of coming back around to it after having this conversation, which is the idea of having, I called it like warm, you know, like warming your application. Um, okay. So imagine uh, a request comes in and the first time you hit this endpoint, you need to go and like download a text file with a few IP addresses, put it in the cache. And then the next time a request comes in, it just can like pull it out of the cache. Well, sure. the first person that hit that had to pay the price of downloading those IP addresses from a text file off the internet, right? So, so that sure. very first visitor has to pay the price of warming the cache. Whereas if you could do that as a part of your deployment story, then no one has to pay the price of the cache or everyone kind of pays the price in the downtime if it's part of downtime or maybe you can not, maybe you can essentially go, yes, if the first request comes in, they have to pay the price, but maybe no one will hit it by the time, you know, we've actually already warmed the cache up. So what I kind of envisioned was, you know, in the kernel, in the, in the console kernel, there's a kernel.php in our applications, in our framework application there's a schedule function and the schedule function allows you to kind of define jobs to run on the cron on the cron as a cron job essentially so you can say every five minutes you know go and do this thing uh, every day update this particular thing or send this send this web request uh, to make sure that I know my server's still kind of running a cron or whatever sure I, I imagined a, a new function under that called warm which would essentially tie to a PHP artisan warm command. And in there, you could kind of warm your application. So you could say, all right, go download this file and put it in the cache. And so you do PHP artisan migrate, PHP artisan cache warm, and it would warm the cache or warm your application, whatever that would be for your particular application. And so, so yeah, so you'd migrate the database, you'd run this command, that command would then populate, go and fetch that file, put it in the cache so that when that request comes in, it doesn't have to go and download it itself. Um, and then, you know, there's probably ways you could then implement some of these things we're talking about where you could say, you know, once on the end of it, like fluently call, you know, right. run this thing and then do it once. And if you do that, then it, you know, persists that it's run, it's done it somewhere. And then it's kind of not so much this huge new concept. It's just like the scheduler. 
you know, in a way that the migration aspect is just like the migrations. It's like quite nice that it's a similar concept. I love this. Okay. I, okay. Because I, because I'm thinking, I mean, I, let's, let's, let's over engineer this. Like Please. why, why just have a warm option? Mm-hmm. Right. We've got the scheduler, right? That that says, you know, basically put this command in line to be run when some other command gets executed, right? That's a, that's effectively what's happening is like, yes, tell the scheduler to run this command daily at noon or whatever. Mm-hmm. But really, all that's saying is like, put this in a list somewhere, and then when I run PHP artisan schedule run or whatever the command is i can't even you know you you set that up once and then you never look at it again so i can't think of what it is agreed yeah but i think it's schedule run yeah okay all that's doing is saying like here's a bunch of commands that have been queued up to run which ones should be run right now right so what if there was like that same concept but just generic where I can essentially say, put this task in this bucket with these constraints, and the scheduler is just one. You're, it's almost it's almost a step. It's an abstraction above the scheduler, where the scheduler would could be an implementation of this same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where its job is to run all the commands that have been scheduled. Yes. But you could also have a warm bucket, right? That's for cache warming. Or you could have a like pre-deploy button bucket or a post-deploy bucket or a pre-migration bucket or a post-migration bucket. You know, like you could just have any number of buckets as you need it, right? And so so now PHP artisan schedule run just becomes an alias for like PHP artisan command i don't know what this would be called but like bucket run and then the next argument is like cron or something you know like that that's Mm. basically just one of the one of the buckets right and then you Mm. could have then you could provide the nice convenience features on top of that like once or you know on one server or what you know Mm. the things that the scheduler does you could pull the ones that are useful outside of the scheduling concept into the the more abstract system but that's kind of an interesting idea mm, yeah I'm, now, now i'm getting excited about it again <laughs> <laughs> how funny yeah i think a hundred percent like you know obviously the scheduler only run can only run per minute um, and but we want to run at a specific instance we don't want to have to wait to the end of the minute for cron to like trigger this thing but yeah right. being able to just be like these are the things that you run when we're when we're warming or when we're pre-deploying or whatever which you know again we can we can achieve this through artisan commands that are just in our deploy script or or whatever you know event listeners that like listen for the migration started or migration ended and do stuff but i like the formality of having it in the kernel and the idea that it's the same concepts. And like you said, like being able to say, um, you know, maybe the warm commands um, receives like a, a task 
builder, whatever, and you can say, all right, task, run, and then you say, you know, whatever the task is that you have to do, you know, download this file, or maybe it's probably accepts a closure, right? And, you know, downloads a file, puts it in the cache, and you can say, you know, on one server, and it's the same API as the scheduler, where it's on right, one server. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's quite nice, again, that, that there's no new concepts and you get to use the existing concepts. I mean, um, frankly, it could be it could be the schedule object, right? What if I want this, this task to run daily, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I deploy six times in the day, I only want it to run once. But if I, when I deploy, if I run it, you know, noon on, on Thursday and then I do six deploys, but then I deploy at 1 PM on Friday, I want it, that command to run again. Right. Right. So you're you're saying you're saying that you want to be able to like to to have the ability to say, all right, run this command on one machine once per day when I deploy, if I deploy. Right. Right. Interesting. Daily daily now becomes like just an additional constraint. It's like Mm. run it, but only run it once daily at most, right? Or, or maybe it's once monthly or, you know, whatever, whatever. And, and you'd have to, mm. you'd have to split it out. Right. Because some things wouldn't make sense. Right. Like daily yeah. at, right. Mm. Is yes. not going to work in this context because you don't know what time deploys are going to run at. Agreed. Yeah. So this, the current sort of schedule object would need to be a subclass of some parent object that's that's got less configuration but you could potentially move in more than you you know you've got without overlapping or then ping or like you've got a bunch of things that would make sense Mm. in these more abstract contexts so then you essentially instead of just having one scheduler that mm. runs with PHP artisan schedule run, you would essentially have as many schedules as you wanted. And I might run PHP artisan schedule run every minute on a cron. Mm. And then I might run PHP artisan schedule run pre deploy and run that every time I deploy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I like the idea of having it there or co-located. That's, that's, quite nice and, and it's the right place it feels like the right place to put them right because mm. that's where we already define all of these commands that need to run at different times in our app like it kind of yeah. even if i didn't know where to go that might be a place that i'd start start just to see what happened mm. yeah yeah definitely i love this mm. yeah i dig this as well this is cool <laughs> and then um you know over engineering those, right <laughs> those <laughs> commands could essentially do what Taylor's solution was you know yes. in that command it could just be you know before i execute i check to see and if if there's nothing for me to do i just i just abort right yep and yep. you can if you have some task that's potentially going to take four hours to run you can use process control to 
spawn off a background process, you know, you, you can, you yeah. can, or you can push things to the queue or, you know, in your command, you can manage the resource needs in a bunch of different ways, but it's still the same single story of mm. where you, where and how you define things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's nice. Interesting. Mm. I, I love that that we came to a solution that no one can use because it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. That's that's the way to do it for sure. Because then we have to build it. So that's nice. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Maybe um maybe I'm over. Maybe I'm over simple. Or I, I don't know. It seems it seems really it seems like a really good. It seems like a really good sort of like synthesis of all the different things that we've talked about that uses Laravel's existing way of doing things really nicely. Does it actually, so it sounds good in a vacuum. Does it actually like coming back to the practical, like problems that we're trying to solve? Like what would that look like in code? So, you know, we've got a, so writing a feature that needs to bust the cache, then in the, I'd go into the kernel.php, the console slash kernel.php. I'd go into the, we'll call it the warm function for, for now. It's a warm function receives the task. Uh, maybe it is just all in the schedule, maybe not, but we'll just give it a separate function sure. for now just to kind of keep it separate. And I'd say task once, and then whatever the command is to bust the cache, you know, PHP artisan cache clear. And because I've tagged it with once and, you know, not, I don't care about other deploys. It's just like, just this one time I want you to run this. I guess we still have that problem of you need some kind of identifier so that right. you can, you know, that it's this particular iteration of the deployment that we're, we're going with. I mean, maybe once just takes a string, you yeah. know? Yep. Yep. Actually, that's, that's a good, good point. Maybe. Yeah. Yep, some kind of identifier. And that was then we can merge that in. It gets deployed. The warm command gets invoked when we deploy. It busts the cache. Everyone's happy. Next time it deploys, it doesn't happen. Everyone's happy. So that works. Yeah. I mean, you know, to your point, the roles and permissions thing, right? Mm. Now now mm. we're going, we're creating, say, two migrations, one yep. for the roles table, one for the permissions table. Mm -hmm. Then we're creating a new command or maybe we're creating a seeder mm -hmm. that seeds the roles and permissions. Mm -hmm. And then we're going in the kernel and we're adding to the post deploy hook, run this seeder yep. once. Once. Yeah. It, it is. I mean, it's a little less, directly connected mm. for sure yeah there's a yeah some separations there you know which which i think any of these solutions that we've kind of talked about do have that fundamental problem of like when you introduce abstractions things are more abstract right like, mm. that's mm -hmm. gonna happen i like i like it a lot for a lot of the things that you have to do as part of a deploy 
you know? Mm. Like, for example, right, we use Sidecar to deploy Lambda functions for, you know, rendering PDFs in uh, with, with Puppeteer. Mm-hmm. And right now, when, you know, when we went all in on Sidecar, we had to add a couple of different things to the deployment process, right? There's, there's a, there's a, there's a command that, that has to run as part of our deploy to push the new versions of those sidecar um, functions up. Arguably in this world, I could have just added, like we already have a post deploy hook set up. That's just PHP artisan, whatever to run this, this new thing that we're, we're describing. And I could have then just gone into the code and said, like, just put this sidecar command in that bucket to run. And then I wouldn't have to like mess with our actual deployment process to add a new command to the deploy, which is nice. I do like that. And I think for the thing that you're describing, like the caching, some, some sort of, okay, we just want to, we just want to grab some some data file like we you know we we um we do this with um with a list of like all of the official uh, what are they called the routing numbers for bank mm-hmm. for bank accounts you know yeah. we, we just pull that list of routing numbers in the bank name so that we can offer them for autocomplete in, in a couple of different places and validate them so like something like that right just just make sure that at least every once in a while those routing numbers get pulled down mm-hmm. and you probably got something like that in the schedule right like once a day go and like download yeah. those but if yeah. you're spinning up a new environment then maybe that you know midnight isn't for seven hours and that new environment doesn't have that thing i mean you're probably hooking it up to a shared cache so right. really matter, but right. yeah 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 yeah, I mean, I think that maybe we stumbled upon a great solution for another problem. <laughs> <sighs> Again, man. it's definitely a solution. I'm just not sure yeah. what to yet. Yeah, yeah, we've got a hammer, man. We just got to yeah, exactly. find some nails. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I. This has been great. This has been really fun. We've been going Agreed. for a little over an hour. Okay. I could go. Cool. I could keep going, but oh, man. Uh, yeah, we could go deep. I'm sure. And I, I do want to just like put out there, right? There are, there are a bunch of there are a bunch of these, and I, I love if you have any of them that you want to share for for uh, future episodes. I'd be curious. Like one sort of subtopic of this, or I think it's it's really an entirely it's a topic on its own, but like. Another one that I really want to come back to is referencing specific records that exist in the database in code, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that yep. comes up all the time. Mm. I know that like this vendor, this specific vendor exists, and I need to do some special thing. And there's a whole there's a whole feature in the system that's all about you know grabbing data from there proprietary system and pull it in but it needs to reference that vendor and it's and it's like do i hard code that id do i use like 
some sort of like lookup table all the time. There are a bunch of different questions about how to approach that. How do I do it in testing? How do I make sure, you know, because an obvious solution is just seed all the vendors. Kind of that's why it, it touches to this. It's like, well, just seed all the vendors that you know you need mm. with maybe known IDs and then set the auto increment to a thousand so that the first thousand IDs are reserved. There's like ways to do it. But then for all the other features in my app, I've seeded 80 vendors into the database that I'm never going to need for that feature test or something, right? Mm -hmm. you, you hit those same problems. Yeah. And there's a bunch of stuff around that. And like there, we've, 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 we've approached it in a bunch of different interesting ways. I think the, the one that seems, I don't think it's I don't think it's the silver bullet. I don't think it always answers it, but sort of like inverting that where you actually store like the the fully qualified class name of the thing in the database so that you you are well, I'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Another one is another huge one that I I think I, this this I don't know if this comes up for you all the time, but status transitions and timestamps associated with them, right? I have a model that might go from like new to assigned to scheduled to completed, and then maybe to like some issue status, and then back to new because like something happened where the whole process needed to start over, right? And I want. I want to have a string in the database that is the status of that thing because I'm going to be querying for assigned what assigned jobs all the time. I don't want to be querying against some pivot table. I don't want to be doing some weird complex query on a bunch of timestamp columns. I want just a a column that's called status so that I can do the queries that I'm going to need to do 90% of the time. And it can be duplicated also, data all the way down, but it's like it's so much better to just see yeah, that value there if you're looking at the database as well. Exactly. Like, oh. But at the same time, I'm going to want like timestamps associated with all those transitions. And a lot of times those timestamps are also going to be fundamental. It's like, well, I want to know if this was scheduled, when was it scheduled at? If this was completed, when was it completed at? And I think that there are a bunch of there are a bunch of different ways to approach this and I have yet to find one that feels like this is the thing that I'm going to reach for first. I, I think that all the solutions that we've come across at least are things where all of them kind of have bad trade-offs and I don't, I'm not confident that I know which one I think has the least bad trade-off. Yep. Another and one I is custom. That, oh, in that particular problem, I think the, Thing that and you know this, now i'm going to under engineer stuff because i haven't thought about this at all um <laughs> but the the idea that like you know are you, are you ever going to have to query against the updated date of the status and if you're not it doesn't have to be a dedicated column right like you're never going to update it you're never going to query against it or if you are querying against it is it something like you're manually querying against so you don't really care about performance in which case you know whack it in a json column and then just right. have a, a status updated at or status, you know, and that could even be an array so that you can like keep the timestamps and like see the, you know, now, you, now you're doing event sourcing in a JSON column in a database. <laughs> Maybe that's not a good idea. I don't know. No, I, uh, 
I have been down that path. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Another one that I have on my list is customer relations, and I don't, I don't know if this is a thing. I wonder if this is only a thing that I ever deal with, but we deal with customer relations all the time, and part of that has to do with with we've got a bunch of legacy data that's not modeled in a way that Laravel's Eloquent really likes mm-hmm. to work with. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of cases, we'll just deal with the inefficiencies and it's fine. But in some cases, the data is is used so heavily that we need to query it in really performant ways. And so there will be a lot of like, these these very very specific custom relationships that have to do weird joins or unions or joins and unions against multiple columns and you know have to handle the eager and non-eager scenario and i just i i i'm more just like is this something that other people deal with and how do other people approach these these any data that's related in not just, oh, this is a belongs to or it has many, you know? Oh, I want to hear this episode. Uh, I, I'm nowhere near smart enough to even contribute to the episode, but man, I want to hear this episode. <laughs> the, the fanciest stuff I get done with Eloquent is like installing one of Jonas, is it Statomy? Jonas Statomy's packages. Yes. That's, that's yes. as fancy as I get with Eloquent. Uh, you know, there's some... He's got Those, some mad packages out there. Yes, are incredible. And we yeah. do the, you know, the limited, like being able to add limits to your has manys and stuff like that. Like there's yes, just, oh, yes. let me just go grab one of his packages, install it, exactly. and then I can just add limit to the relationship and it just works. Yeah. And under the yeah. hood, it's doing all these wild like table or what are they, window functions and stuff that I have no idea how they work, but... We've never had a problem. So, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They just work. They're so good. So, good. yeah. Re- relations in Laravel is my like, my little pet peeve. I, mm-hmm. I feel like I have in my head sort of like a way that I think relationships could work that would make building complex relations a lot easier. But, but because, I don't know. I, I can see why they kind of evolved in the way that they do, but now it would take pretty much a whole overhaul of that system, which obviously no one wants wants to see happen. But I, I just bump into relations all the time. But I'm wondering, do you have any of these that you're like, man, I bump into this and it, it's always like, eh, we can make it work. But I'm, uh, I'm sure that there are, right? Like we all bump into things like that. And then, you know, you bump into it again at some, you know, later down the line. I don't think I haven't got anything off the top of my head, but I'm definitely going to start like writing them down as I come up and I'm going to be sending them to you so that you can solve them for me. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, this has been so much fun. Agreed. And, and now we're going to have to like build a whole thing. So I love that too. I'm going to be thinking Definitely. about this and maybe I, you know, I was wondering, is there going to be a, a third episode on this topic? Cause that was the other thing. Like I, I kind of envisioned this idea where we have these like mini seasons of, of two or three episodes. And I, and I was, I was kind of thinking, I don't know if there's going to be a third episode, but maybe there will be, we'll see. Uh, after yeah, this. Yeah. It's going to be, I'd uh, love to hear it. <laughs> but, um, 
yeah, I don't know. Thanks for thanks for coming on. This has been great. Yeah, thanks and, for uh, having me. It's been fun. I, I hope I hope we do it again. Yeah, please. I can I can over engineer anything you throw at me. That's <laughs> that's my bread and butter. I got I this. I love it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, good night. Catch you later.